Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Please Elaborate podcast. Today, we have a guest that I am very excited about because whether she knows it or not, she is a mentor of mine that I watch from afar, occasionally talk with. She has been gracious enough to share her time with me and honestly has been a huge encourager in developing PE, really (laughs) kicked me into gear and set me off in the right direction. I have the one and only Dr. Kara Powell. Who is she, you might ask? She is the Chief of Leadership at Fuller Theological Seminary. She is the Executive Director at Fuller Youth Institute. She's a mother of three. She has an epic skincare routine, I can only imagine. And she is an author of some fantastic resources. Dr. Kara Powell, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing really, really well. And your comment about skincare made me chuckle. I feel like, yeah, I, I've crossed certain lines in age where, yeah, I do got to add a few more products. We're entering the retinol phase. Exactly. Bingo, bingo, bingo. Actually, I've already entered it. So that happened four or five years ago. So yes, we're in that phase. Exactly. So. I just, I'm always, I mean, with, with how many jobs you have and being a mother of three, that you have that skin is almost offensive. So I just don't understand. (laughs) Okay. You tell us who you are, what you do. I know I introed you a little bit, but for those that don't know you and your fantastic work, tell us a little bit about who you are and your latest resource that you've come out with. Yeah. So, you know, somebody asked me recently, Kara, what's your why, you know, what, what drives what you do? And the two words that came to my mind were research and young people. So I'm passionate about a lot of things. I'm passionate about women in leadership. I'm passionate about racial justice. I'm passionate about so many things, but kind of ultimately, I would say what's the the, uh, tree trunk of what I feel most passionate about is helping young people, especially by understanding research and translating research into tools that young people and those who care about them can use. That is incredible. That is an incredible tree trunk. And you well, recently, I, I like it. a lot of branches, but uh, it's a pretty good job too. So, and I think that's why I'm so drawn to what you do, because for those listening that follow me, they know that research is a huge part of what I do. And I'm hoping to eventually start that PhD journey in the future. And you're one that I definitely go, go, go. <laughs> you were the first one. I'll, I would never remember this. You and I mean, I'll never forget this. You and I had coffee one time and I asked you, I said, what's your advice as a woman in leadership in this space? And you said, honestly, the PhD doesn't hurt. (laughs) That made me chuckle. I was like, it's such great advice. I mean, I know that's not an easy feat, but you just sort of said, you know what, when you have doctor in front of your name as a woman, people tend to take you a little bit more seriously. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And speaking of all your fantastic work, you recently came out with a resource looking at faith and anxiety in young people today. Do you want to talk a little bit about what that is? I know we have some parents listening and some young people listening that this could appeal to. Yeah. Yeah, it's our Faith in an Anxious World resources, which actually came out just prior to the pandemic, but we've been updating, tweaking them, tracking with important data. Awesome. And, you know, even before the pandemic, we were seeing such a surge in anxiety, loneliness. Um, now, according to some research that just came out last week from the Springtide Research Institute uh, about somewhere between 50 to 60% of those who are 13 to 25 would say that they are lonely or depressed or anxious or stressed. Um, And in the midst of the pandemic, anxiety for all generations has tripled and depression has quadrupled. So, you know, mental health and stress and anxiety, they're just 
pervasive again for all generations right but maybe especially young people if you think about what young people have gone through you know they were already they were really busy before the pandemic pandemic hit and then they were less busy but more lonely right now now they are still not fully connected to peers and mentors like they were but they're back being busy again so they have all the busyness of life before the pandemic and still feeling some deficits of social support and just just plain loneliness and isolation. So that's why uh, okay. over the last three, four years, we've wanted to study what is going on with stress and anxiety and how does faith play a part in how we respond? I was curious because even I know this is directed at high schoolers, but looking through the curriculum and looking through some of these questions, I thought, well, you don't have to be in high school to come across these questions. I mean, even it, even in adults, I've experienced it. Some of my friends have experienced it of, you know, you've lost connection with your friends and family that you saw rhythmically before the pandemic. Then you've gone out of work. Then you've come back to work or school or your day-to-day activities, but you don't have that undercurrent of those connections and rhythmic activity of a connection with your loved ones anymore, but you're still expected to churn out some level of productivity that matches pre-pandemic. And that's super overwhelming. And I think it's one of those long COVID symptoms almost of anxiety and depression, the, uh, which kind of goes into the next question that I, I have for you, which is why are we hearing so much about stress and anxiety in young people these days? Yeah, yeah. Well, we don't totally know why there's been, there's no, I'll actually say there's no one single sure. factor that we know for sure causing all of this. I would say that there's a handful of factors. Um, one is technology, and there's so much I love about technology. You know, you and I are talking today. I talked to my daughter in London, my college student who's studying in London a couple hours ago. So I love how technology helps us keep in touch, and technology can be really bonding and create a sense of belonging. But especially for young people, it also shows them everything they're missing out on. Right. Um, you know, when I, when I wasn't invited to a Friday night party, I'd maybe hear about it on Monday morning. Whereas young people today, what they're not invited right. to, like they see unfolding on, you know, on a device in their hand while they're in their bedrooms. So, um, so technology, it certainly can create a sense of support, but it also can reinforce your sense of loneliness or what you're missing out okay. on. Okay. So technology is big. Um, some of the ways that we, and I say we have parented, mm. have also not helped. You know, think about helicopter parents who kind of swoop in and, and we're so well-intentioned, we wanna protect our kids, but then they don't develop the muscles of grit and resilience right. that young people need. So, so we as parents, we have not let those muscles develop. I would say a third thing is just plain busyness. Um, I love what Lisa Demore says when she writes about um, adolescent girl anxiety. She recommends that a young person have about 25% of their waking hours unstructured, um, and which is a lot, right? Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> that and makes me nervous. Cool. Yeah, 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 totally. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And again, in the pandemic, a lot of young people had that, but right. before and now after, they're not experiencing that. And then I would just say, lastly, it's our brain biology. You know, we can't talk about uh, stress and anxiety without talking about brain being an organ. And just like our heart or our liver or our kidney can get out of whack and we need prescription medicine and we need right. behavioral interventions. 
sometimes our brain is the same way. And so a lot of people need to see a mental health professional to talk right. about what's really going on neurologically for them. That kind of integrates into the next question I have for you in taking into account the human biology and how we raise up our kids or people in leadership, uh, this idea that almost leaders or parents, anyone who is overseeing the well-being of another human has some semblance of responsibility for maintaining an environment that is for the betterment of that person's well-being. So what mistakes do well-intentioned leaders or parents make when responding to young people's stress and anxiety? Yeah. You know, I think number one that comes to mind is we're afraid that if we bring it up, we're going to somehow make it worse. Like if we start talking about young people's stress and anxiety, then all of a sudden they'll think, huh, I am stressed. I am anxious and feel more stressed and anxious. Now, the reality is, I mean, young people are swimming in messages about mental health. In fact, right. in the state of California, legislation was passed a handful of years ago so that every public and private high school and middle school school ID on the back has the National Suicide Prevention Hotline on it. Wow. So, which I think is a great thing. Like, yeah. I hope more states do that. Um, but that's that's how much mental health is a part of a young person's day is, wow. you know, at least a percentage of them have it on the back of their ID card. So, you know, what I like to say to parents, step parents, mentors, employers is don't be afraid that bringing it up is going to make it worse. In fact, you want you want to be one of the safest places where young people can talk to you. And so, um, you know, we, we spell out an A, B, C, D, E of how to respond to young people who are stressed and anxious. And the A is to ask. Um, and we, we learned this great question from actually a Fuller Seminary alum who's a therapist here in Southern California. And so this is a question we recommend asking. On a scale of one to 10, with 10 being extremely or very, how stressed or anxious are you right now? Um, and a one to three, is no big deal. A four or five is probably handleable. A six or above is where we want to start bringing in other support, other adults, other peers. Again, maybe a mental health professional, making it, it a topic of conversation. So, so I think the biggest mistake we make is being silent about it instead of being a yeah. safe place. I'm, I'm kind of going off script here, um, kind of a little bit of a question, but a lot of times I have either personally experienced or seen almost uh, this intergenerational struggle to talk about anxiety or depression. And I wanna ask you, there seems to be from where I'm sitting, a misunderstanding that one generation, you know, the generation above me or two above me just never experienced anxiety or depression. And we hear older people maybe say, you know, younger people are just way more anxious and depressed. And I'm curious, is that true or is it just being talked about more now? Yeah. And did the generation above us also struggle, but just didn't have the resources or wherewithal to understand it? I think it's both. Okay. I think it's both that we are talking about it more. And so we're more aware of it. And I mean, even just the trends in the last three years are showing this huge increase. So, okay. um, so I, I do think it's both. I think it's actually a substantive change as well as just an awareness, more awareness about it. Okay. And then just a more tactful, I guess, useful, tangible question here is how do we know when we are just having a bad day, a one-off, yeah. or um, I call them, uh, you know, like 
I use this term sometimes in my house or with my friends, the one day blues or the three day blues, you know, where you're just in a slump. How do we know when it's the three day blues or something that's more temporary versus something that's more permanent or uh, significant that needs to be addressed? How do we yeah. know when we're just having a bad day or we're, we're into something more serious? Yeah. Well, I think you're wise to think about, you know, first off, how long is this lasting? Yeah. That's often a correlation. Um, and it, you know, what's, what's challenging about anxiety and stress or even suicidal ideation is it looks different for different people. Um, and so, you know, what you, what we need to do is we need to know what's normal for us and normal, uh, in the people that we care about. Yeah. So, you know, for yourself, for somebody you care about, especially a young person, are they eating or are they eating more or less? Are they sleeping more or less? Are they seeking comfort out more or less? You know, it's those sorts of more or less where that should be a first sign for you. Uh, again, whether it's yourself or somebody else, hmm, I wonder what's what's going on here. Yeah. And then, you know, if it's you, I'd recommend you talk to somebody who you trust. You know, if, you, if you're already in a relationship with a therapist, great. If not, somebody who has that kind of savvy mm -hmm. to help you know if you need more help. Um, and then, you know, for those of us who love and serve young people in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our faith communities, you know, for us to be able to see what's going on with them and then realize, okay, it's a little abnormal. And then that's where, you know, we can ask that scale of one to 10 question. Or sometimes what I've had to do, especially with young people is um, they can't always articulate how they're doing. And so we need to say, you know, I think maybe on a scale of one to 10, you're about a six. What do you think? How does that feel in terms of ah. 10 being really stressed? And the person like saying, no, I'm more of a five or actually I'm an eight. Um, and see and let them kind of correct you, but you're you're helping them identify that, and then and then that gives you some of the data you need to know how to respond. Okay, I was gonna say, and I, you probably already know this, maybe, but I used to be a, a college pastor a few years ago, and I remember right. Right. sometimes I would have students or even some of the high school students, you know, come into my office and want to talk about something, and their body language would be. Um, I have something to tell you, or I have something I want to talk about, but I'm uncomfortable with it. And their body language would be kind of caved in. And there's this, you know, they would almost do like these little TikTok dances as they were talking to kind of make it funny yes. and humorize something yes. that was very serious. And yes. so the, it was a struggle to really say, okay, what you're going through is very serious, but you're yeah. using these comedic ticks yeah. as, as a coping mechanism. How do I not, um, devalue that or take that comfort away from you, but still get you to open up and yeah. talk about something. Yeah. Uh, do you have any advice for leaders that are dealing with that with younger yeah. people, religious or not just leaders in general dealing with that? Well, this is where um, it often takes more than one conversation. Right. And so, you know, as you get to spend more time with the young person, hopefully they'll be able to relax around you. And this is where, you know, for us as adults to ask other adults who know that young person, what they're saying, whether it's a parent or step parent, whether it's a neighbor, a boss, a pastor, a teacher, because they see things that, you know, whatever our role is in a young person's life, we don't always see. And right. So one of the things we say about mental health is it's not a solo sport. 
it's a team sport. You know, it's a team sport for those who are struggling with mental health. And I will say those of us, because I think right. most of us at some point in the last few years, especially maybe all of us have struggled with mental health. And so it's a team sport for us as we're navigating it. And it's a team sport as we think about helping others, whether it's a friend, a spouse, a kid, you know, who else knows, who else can I get involved? Who else can support me or this person with what they're navigating? That's really good and very helpful. I think for all leaders to know that it's a long game. For any fellow Enneagram threes out there that want to fix everyone. Are you an Enneagram three? I'm an Enneagram three. I'm a three. Are you a three? Do you have a wing? I joke that I'm a three wing three because I'm so stereotypical three. I'm all about image. I'm all about wanting people to think that I'm successful. Uh, Yeah. So, yeah, I say the same thing. I say, I know people are supposed to have wings, but I don't really think I have a wing. I don't. I'd love to be a wing four because I think fours are just precious gems that just want to make the world a better place. And here I I am. I'd love to be a wing two because the empathy, the others, like I would love that. We want to be, we want to be endearing people. And I think that's half the battle, Kara. I think that really is half. We want it. Um, no, I always joke that I, yeah, I'm a three wing three and that just, no wonder I've, I've always said, I want to be Kara Powell when I grow up and that just tracks. Now I don't have to change. We resonate with each other. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So I have, I have one more question for you and it's a little selfish because we're, we're engaging in social media and we have access to information at a greater speed than we ever have before. We know about things that we otherwise would have never known about. You know, I'm one of the first generations to kind of be on that cusp of growing up almost entirely with technology, but remembering a period when we didn't have it. And I get very, very overwhelmed when I'm just scrolling on social media. And I'm sure other people that use social media in some form of media for work, like you do with promoting things and working with young people, what is your advice for navigating and finding some semblance of peace when doing that? For example, I I get inundated. This is really weird, but when I'm I'm scrolling Instagram, a lot of times my algorithm has just decided to show me, um, animals in shelters that need help and have been abandoned. And it's just every other post. And I get so overwhelmed and depressed and anxious and I want to save every animal. And that's just one example. You know, you could see the news or what's going on in Ukraine or the chaos with Kanye. You can get overwhelmed and feel like you want to fix it and know that you you can't. You're at home and you're one person. How do you navigate? What is any, you know, final thoughts or advice for navigating this inundation of information that we're in right now? I think the first thing that comes to mind, Savannah, is to know our vulnerable times. So for me, like scrolling before I go to bed, terrible, terrible idea. And it's tempting to do it, you know, especially if I'm like watching Netflix or whatever. Mm -hmm. I can look at my phone too. And no, 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 because invariably it'll either be needs that I want met or or sometimes for me actually tends to be more about comparison, if I can be honest. Yes. Like, wow, they're such a better mom than I am. Look what they're doing Mm. uh, with their kids. Or like Friday and Saturday nights, I've learned I can't look at social media because invariably I'll see friends of mine or people that I know who are posting these great evenings that they're having. And, you know, Dave and I are heating up soup in our sweats uh, at home. Uh, and, and I'll think, oh, you know, oh, my life is kind yeah. of working and everybody has a better life than me. And so like, literally, I usually don't, I really try not to look at social media. Okay. Um, 
Friday and Saturday nights. And and the oh, before bed thing, I just did this a couple nights ago. I looked at some stuff before bed and it brought up these insecurities in me. And I think I slept worse because of it. So so it's uh, for me, it's right. knowing the times that I'm vulnerable and saying, I'm not gonna, you know, not gonna look at my phone for the hour before I go to bed or even the half hour before I go to bed, or those times when again for me it's often comparison. So that's such good advice because I resonate with that. It's always nighttime. If I'm scrolling at night and then I see, you know, a stranded dog or something someone did, I'm yeah. like, I, I could probably fix that right now if I wanted to. Yeah. It's like, no, you can't. You're in, you're in Oregon. Right. Yeah. The dog's in Miami. Yeah, exactly. Just leave it. Someone else will take care of that. You do that at 1030 at night. No. So and the yeah, comparison, absolutely. comparison at night is so much worse looking and comparing at night. And then just thinking of what you could do better. You could be better at 11 PM. Thank you so, so much. This has been so insightful, really helpful. And I hope this is helpful to other leaders, parents, people in, in places where they have influence on young people. Your words and your work are incredible. Last question, where can people find you and more of your work? Yeah, so best place to find me is at fulleryouthinstitute.org in terms of a website, that's fulleryouthinstitute.org. Uh, my handles on Twitter and Facebook are Powell FYI and Instagram. K Powell FYI. So my first initial K Powell and then FYI as in Fuller Youth Institute. So awesome. we'd love to, we'd love to connect with people. And I just love the whole essence of this podcast and striving for deeper conversations Thank you. and growing, growing through discussions and encountering others who are different. So, uh, so blessings Savannah. And I look forward to seeing how this podcast continues. Thank you. Oh, that means the world to me. I love everything that you do. Thank you so much. Dr. Kara Powell, and we hope to see you on here again. Perfect. Blessings. Bye.